Hi, I'm Brandon Briscoe, and welcome to The Postscript. Welcome back to The Postscript. We're here with Pastor Sam Miles talking about the book of Genesis. And last time we were together, we were discussing uh, how Adam was made in the likeness of, of God and, and, and Jesus Christ's role in that and the, and the triune nature of God is present there at creation. And, and what's said is, let us make man in our image. And so there's uh, a really interesting um, uh, aspect to that in terms of, of who Adam was intended to be in the garden. And so as we continue our conversation today, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start by just asking a really big question. Um, when, when, when God made his creation... What are some of the things that we can understand about the nature of God and what he was up to based on what was going on there with Adam and, and, and creation, the creation account? Yeah. So, you know, obviously with the constraints of what we're dealing with here, I, I can only just mention a few things. But, um, you know, just even in the creation week itself, you see so much of the the thought, the current religious thought of Moses's day being just overturned, just put on its head, right? So like, for example, um, like verse 16, God made two great lights. Well, that's just like verse one, in the beginning, God created. So all of the chaos theory is mm-hmm. now evaporating with the coming of the word of God through Moses, right? And by in chaos, the what do you mean by chaos theory when you say that? So, you know, everything, you know, so... These gods get together and they birth creation, and and so everything from the chaos gods, the titans, uh, right. you know, the the creation myths, everything starts out in verse two with the cataclysm, and they mm-hmm. they they view that as the origin. Well, that's not no Isaiah chapter forty five verse eighteen. God created the earth to be formed and inhabited. Mm-hmm. Right? He did not create it formless and void. Um, so, so you know, Genesis dispels pagan beliefs, right? God, God made two great lights, verse 16, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser, lesser light. Well, forget worshiping the sun. The sun is a created object made by the creator. Mm-hmm. And so, so God does the world a favor just by showing himself as the author of I all see. things. Yeah. Okay. But then you see the scope and the magnitude of what God does and... And it is magnificent, right? So mm-hmm. we get down to a garden. Right. And um, verse 16, man's placed in the garden. And it says, of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. Okay, is God a stingy God or a generous God? You know, uh, you, you see how he's a wonderful father. The mm-hmm. whole world is your buffet. Sure. Uh, dig in. Only one tree is not on the menu. And oh, God loves us so much. He's so not willing that we would perish. He warns us, this one tree, talk about poison, and the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Mm. Don't eat it. So, so what you're saying is that, that from the account, we learn the intent of God, and we can see very clearly uh, that he did things with order, uh, which dispels a lot of the, 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 the chaos narratives that existed Prior to uh, prior to the Mosaic writings, mm-hmm. um, the, the the paganism that was flourishing all over the world at that yeah. time, yeah. 
And so it set that straight by saying there is but one God, one God. and he had great yeah. intention. And yeah. it isn't all of these multiplicities of ideas or theories about essentially the gods of, of the gaps. Yeah, you think about it. I mean, in Moses's day, most of the world was literally worshiping the sun. Mm-hmm. And then Moses shows up and says, hey, right. <laughs> God made that fireball in the sky worship him mm-hmm. yeah. yeah yeah so then and then yeah. so then you jumped and you talked just briefly there about the tree mm-hmm. um so you've got two trees mm-hmm. uh you got many trees but you got two very important trees mm-hmm. uh the tree of life yeah um which pops up again later on maybe that's for a different conversation but i, I do want to talk briefly about the tree of, of knowledge and of good and evil and discuss mm-hmm. why, why what's what was God's intention in putting the tree in the garden what is that in terms of the heartbeat of God and and his heart for Adam yeah. and Eve why yeah. would he place a temptation like that in the midst of the garden uh, well so since God's not Calvinistic himself oh okay okay yeah so I know where this is going I think. This <laughs> yeah, is set I think up. sorry did. I had to say yeah 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 so you know man has a free will mm-hmm and how do you have a free will unless you have the capacity to exercise that free will? And so there is a tree that's in the midst of the garden that the eating of it gives you the knowledge of good and evil on the one hand, but on the other hand, it's in the, the acquisition of that knowledge is actually outside the bounds of God's provision because mm-hmm. you eat that tree and uh, verse 17 says, in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Uh, from the beginning, God's not willing that any would perish, that all would have this eternal, this everlasting life. That's why we'll see there is a tree of life in the garden that God has to bar the way to. So you got an angel with flaming sword barring the way to the tree of life because of mankind's rebellion. He can't mm-hmm. partake of eternal right. life in his sin against God. God's not willing that any would perish. He wants them to have eternal life, right? So there's a warning against choosing to rebel against the word and the will of God. Uh, he's a good father, right? you know, a very generous father because every other tree is on the menu. Um, of the, I mean, literally verse 16, of every tree of mm-hmm. the garden. Mm-hmm. They're all fruit-bearing trees in the garden. That he, can, he can eat any of this fruit. There's just one that's not on the menu, and it represents a choice. Will I submit myself to the will and the Word of God, or am I going to go away that's right in my own eyes? And the end of that way is death. Right. And no. so there, there is a temptation because God does want man to exercise a free will. That's part of worship, actually, yeah. is having free will. And God wanted a people who would voluntarily, wor- voluntarily yeah. would worship Him. And, yeah. and, yeah. Uh, and so then you have a deception. Mm-hmm. Right, and so mm-hmm. you have a deceiver who comes yeah. in. Um, he finds an Eve that's isolated, apart from Adam, which mm-hmm. makes her vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And he s- starts to spin a lie. Can you can you tell us about this lie? And I think there's a lot to learn about Satan mm-hmm. based on his a- approach sure. to Eve. So t- let's talk about yeah. that. Yeah, and that's probably a horse that that gets ridden pretty hard in the Living Faith Fellowship. I would be surprised. If anyone listening to this podcast, that this this would be the first time that they've heard this, sure. but the first time Satan speaks, it's a question, and it's a question about the veracity of God's word. Yea, hath God said, verse one, "Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden." And so, so that's not what God said. Satan is changing the word of God. He's effectively calling God a liar. He's causing God's word, God's commandment. I mean, you think about. 
uh, the Bible would have been pretty easy to memorize in Genesis chapter two. Mm-hmm. It's a real short. <laughs> it's a real Commands short Bible. Simple. Yeah, and uh, he's calling God a liar. He's twisting the word of God. Uh, Eve gets caught up in the dissimulation, and she's saying, "Yeah, we can't even touch it." In verse three, and then in verse four, he is questioning God's motives. Uh, first, he said he calls him a liar, a liar in verse four, and then in verse five, God's holding out on you because He knows that the day you eat thereof, your eyes are open and you'll be like Him. You'll be as mm-hmm. God's knowing good and evil. Uh, he's he's framing God as a holdout to Eve when God so loved Eve, right? Mm-hmm. He warned her in His word, and whether that was through poor discipleship on Adam's part, um, you know, something something got lost in the transmission of God's word from Adam to Eve, or it could have just been that he just didn't keep Eve falling the temptation. Right. Yeah, it could have been Adam. Uh, he's not keeping the admonition properly. We're, we're not told that. You can speculate a lot in terms of how that could have gone wrong. Mm-hmm. And the going wrong of it is a great warning to you and I today mm. in terms that, of our discipleship, you know, our making disciples. We want to be faithful to the word. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Um, I want to go back to what you were saying about uh, Satan, though. What What is, I mean, explain his motivation here. I mean, so he's fallen. Mm-hmm. There's been a new creation put in place. Let's let's talk briefly about, about Satan's motivation that has kept him at work for thousands of years now. Uh, he's working a plan. Can we, ta- can we talk about that briefly? And how does this play into that? Well, I don't know how you explain crazy, but I mean, I don't know. (laughs) It's like we talked about last time. Literally, Adam is made from the dirt from where he used to walk. When I mean, if you think about it in terms of corporate America, Satan got fired, right? He he, he pulled a power play. He tried to take over the company. Mm -hmm. So he gets fired. And uh, it's not just the guy down in, you know, the mailroom that gets the CEO job, right? right. It's, uh, it's literally, he got replaced by a stone out from the parking lot. <laughs> <You know? laughs> God forms man literally from, from the dust of the ground. Right. And he is now the chief steward of this dispensation of innocence. And so, um, you know, the, the, the Bible's very clear in terms of um, Satan's motivation. He is a liar and a murderer from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Right. What's he doing? He is murdering this couple in the garden. Right. He he speaks of a lie. He's a liar from the beginning. And the goal is the death, because that's mm-hmm. what's promised in chapter two. In the day, you know, Satan knows the word of God. In the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And Satan says, bingo. Right. So I'm going to destroy my replacement. And what started in Genesis chapter three uh, you see that that goal of lying to kill throughout all of the rest of Scripture. You know, the very first prophecy in Scripture is in Genesis chapter three, and what verse fifteen? Mm, yeah, I was hoping enmity between the woman and Satan, between thy seed, her seed, and oh yeah, her seed will bruise you, you'll, you'll bruise his hill, but he's going to bruise your head. He right. will destroy you, and so. All of the rest of Scripture, very clearly, you see Satan attacking the seed, whether right. it's the seed of God's word, just like we saw at the beginning of chapter three, 
um, the parable of the sower, the seed. What is the seed? The seed is the word of God. So he works to corrupt the seed of God's word, but he also works to corrupt the seed of the woman. And that's why when you get to Genesis chapter six, you've got a humanity with a corrupt genome and yeah, only we'll talk, we'll talk Noah is upright, you yeah. know? So, so, so with that, but was he up, up to, uh, 315, mm-hmm. he was unaware of God's plan. Of the prophecy, Of yes. the prophecy. Yeah. So this is yeah. our first introduction mm-hmm. to what we now know to be the Messiah. Yeah, uh, yeah, 315. So, yeah. And so with that in mind, from here, from this moment, um, we begin to see the, the prophecy of Christ unfold through the remainder of God's Word and yeah. through, the, through the remainder of Old yeah. Testament. Explain the significance of what's happening here in chapter three, because I don't want to miss this. This is, this is monumental what's happening. She takes of the tree. Yeah. Sin comes upon them. Mm-hmm. The implication there is that not only has it corrupted Adam and Eve, but every generation, every child that's born after them. Yeah. So much so that, that it says uh, that, that Seth was born in the likeness of Adam. Yeah. The sonship is lost. Right. And so there's an opportunity for redemption in Jesus. Can you tell us how that can we continue to see that thread through Genesis? That's a big question too. But like that, since three fifteen is the first prophecy of the Messiah, where else do we see the well, idea of the concept of the yeah, need yeah. of a Messiah throughout yeah. the remainder of Genesis? And, and not not only do you see that, but you see Satan working to attack it. Yes. Right. So yes. so in Genesis chapter six, obviously you see that you've got these sons of God taking wives of the daughters of men. And there's a corrupting of the seed of the woman that takes place there. Uh, then in Genesis chapter 12, you see it further refined, right? I mean, you'll, you'll see it in, in obviously in Genesis chapter 9 through Noah. Um, but um, there will be an attack. Um, you know, so Noah comes through the flood. And then there's sexual perversion mm-hmm. in, in uh, Noah's family, um, the extent of that, the Bible leaves, um, you know, there's, there's, there's different views on that, but something's wrong with Ham mm-hmm. <laughs> in Genesis. And so what you see then from there is God calling out, out of these nations, out of the families of Noah, you see God calling out Abraham, and then Satan focuses his persecution on the seed of Abraham. It's in Abraham, Genesis chapter 12, all the nations of the world will be blessed. Right. Well, because all the nations need a blessing. First Corinthians chapter 15 says, in Adam, all die. We all mm-hmm. die because we were there, you know, genetically, potentially. You and I were there 6,000 years ago. We were in the garden, in Adam, and we rebelled against the word of God. Mm-hmm. Um, so we need to be made alive in Christ. So it's through Abraham. And so that's where you see the attack. Abraham's promised a land, a land, and so Satan makes sure that the Canaan land is populated with Nephilim, with these giants, this corrupted genome. Why? Because he doesn't want the seed of the woman to bruise his head. Right. And so again, you know, you'll, you'll see that um, by the time you get down to the sons of Jacob, uh, they end up in slavery in Egypt, mm-hmm. and the male children are being, you know, treated like. Purina crocodile chow. What's Satan doing? He's attacking the seed of the woman because somewhere in that family is coming a Messiah 
that will crush his head. I think yeah. this is super interesting because in our in our last interview with Greg Axe, he talked about this idea of chess, right? Mm-hmm. Where God would make a move mm-hmm. and, and, and Satan makes a move. And this be, yeah. has become very complex warfare. Mm-hmm. But I think what you're suggesting is that the beginning of the chess match really um, had a lot to do with the seed of Adam and Eve. I mean, in, in its infancy, a lot of the warfare... Well, that would be one of the fronts. I mean, obviously, the war started between Genesis 1, verse 1, and verse 2. Yeah, absolutely. You know, but at, in, 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 his but in terms of what we're seeing, yes. in terms of the, the, the bondage of sin that the world is under today, absolutely, it starts in Genesis chapter 3. Mm. Yeah, And then Satan's play is based off that first prophecy in verse 15. He, you know, he was looking... Uh, for a, a Messiah uh, that would crush his head, so how do I get how do I get around the Word of God? Well, I, I need to make sure it never comes to pass. And so, anytime you see Satan in operation, he is working to corrupt. He's working to destroy the seed, whether it's God's Word or the seed of the woman. Mm-hmm. He's working to destroy it because you know, Judgment Day is coming. <laughs> yeah. So. Then if we're talking about the corruption of the seed, then, then let's go ahead and address this issue of, mm-hmm. of the giants. Mm-hmm. And let's, let's get into that because um, you, you made reference to this earlier. You see, um, the, you know, you see corruption taking place in that. In well, let's just go there so that. And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them. Mm-hmm. That the sons of God, which I'll let you define, uh, saw the daughters of men that they were fair, and they took their uh, took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, "My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh. Yet his days shall be an hundred and twenty years." There were giants in the earth in those days, and and also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, the same because mighty men which were of old men of renown. So walk us through that. Explain what's happening there. Because this is this is stuff that, again, yeah. so our perspective here on this is a literal perspective. Sure. And a lot of people yeah. will want to dismiss this and or uh, speak about it in terms of, of a mythological perspective mm-hmm. because they want to deny the fact that giants actually existed and even especially deny how they may have come into existence. So walk us through this and mm-hmm. explain to us what's happening. Yeah. So, okay. So in verse 1... You've got the Earth's population. Most people think it's at least where we're at today. By the time you get to Genesis chapter six, you've mm-hmm. got longevity of life. Um, you know, a, a, a more robust genome uh, at the beginning. And so, what's happening now is in verse two, these celestial beings called the sons of God. Um, you know. A, a son of God in the Bible is a direct creation of God. Mm-hmm. So Adam, you know, whenever you look at verses uh, or chapters one and two, we find out that Adam was created, formed, and made, mm. right? So he's unique in all of creation. He's created, he's formed, he's made because Luke calls him the son of God. He bears the likeness and the image of God that's lost in chapter three, Um so he, he loses that place as a son of God because he died spiritually, mm-hmm. right? If God is our life, if Christ is our life, and the, the terms of God's word are broken over Adam's life, what were they? 
eat what you want, but don't eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because in the day that thou eatest, thou shalt surely die. Mm -hmm. So he, he exercised his free will. He rebelled against God. And so spiritually now, he is dead. He's no longer a son of God. So that's why Genesis says he's bearing children, right, in his own likeness, after his own image mm -hmm. in chapter 4. So what's the, what are these sons of God? Well, they're not sons of Adam, because Adam's lost his position as a son of right. God. It's not the godly line of Seth intermarrying with the wicked line of Cain. Sure. Uh, godly and wicked people marry all the time. It's not wise, the Bible says, right. you know, we shouldn't be signing up for unequal yoking in our relationships. But um, So you're suggesting that these were... These are celestial beings. Celestial beings yes. because they were direct yeah. creations of God. They're he made them, he crafted them with his God. hand. Yeah. And so they are sons of God the same way Adam was because he was a direct well, creation. And, you know, so when you read 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and you realize maybe there's more to it than that even. So just like... There are terrestrial bodies. We're terrestrial in terms mm -hmm. of our body. They're also celestial bodies. And so you've got whoever they are, these, you know, personally, I believe these are angelic celestial beings. Uh, when they take wives, right? Notice that the, the, the text says they, they take, mm -hmm. right? They took of them wives, uh, all of which they chose. So they take these wives and they marry them, right? And they, they, these wives bear sons to them. So verse 4 describes them as giants. So you got, it can't be godly and ungodly people marrying. They, they, they just have more babies. They have more humans. These offspring are giants. Nephilim is, is the word there. They're bullies. Mm -hmm. They're tyrants. And that's exactly what happens. They're not just men of renown in verse 4, but what they're doing is they're turning the tide of humanity. Uh, what ended in chapter 4 as a global revival, you know, Seth is raised up and he's He's raising up people to follow after and call on the name of the Lord. These sons of God result in a corruption of humanity, not just in terms of the genome, but also of the heart. Mm. God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. It got mm. so bad, God was repenting that he had made man on the earth. Verse 8 says that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, right? These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. That's just interesting that right. the Bible brings up he's perfect in his generations. And this is where a lot of, you know, Bible scholars will get the idea of the godly line of Seth. Um, but it's really also talking about his genealogy, mm -hmm. right? His generations. Uh, his genome was not corrupted right. by these sons of God. So you've got a celestial being intermarrying with a terrestrial being and these Nephilim, these giants... Is the byproduct. Are the byproduct. The spooky part is it's also after that, right? Yeah, we see it. Verse we 4. It. We see it. Yeah, there's giants in the land. Yep. Um, what we'll get into in the next episode okay. is how uh, God has an answer for um, the Nephilim. He's got oh, an yeah. answer for the corrupting, and that is judgment on the earth. Yeah. And we'll get yeah. into uh, Noah and, and that story. So, Sam, okay. thank you for joining us. And yeah. we'll come back together next time and continue this conversation about Noah and about uh, the corruption of the seed and all these really interesting things that we've, we've had an opportunity to talk about. 
If you haven't yet, please visit lfbi.org. You'll find our archive of Postscript episodes there, but you'll also be able to get content as it concerns Living Faith Bible Institute and the Bible School uh, that, that the Living Faith Fellowship has. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook uh, through LFBI. Just search LFBI, and you'll find uh, everything that has to do with what's going on in LFBI there. Thanks for joining us.